You're listening to a sermon from LifeGate Church of Seguin, Texas. This sermon was preached by Joshua Jordan, who serves as the lead pastor at LifeGate Church. Find out more about us at www.lifegateseguin.com. Well, good morning. Well, church, I'm excited for what God has for us this morning in His Word. So if you have a Bible with you, you will make your way to the letter of Galatians. This morning we're in Galatians chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 8 through 11 together. Galatians 4, 8 through 11. moment I want to read... Together, God's holy, inspired, and authoritative word. Paul writes this. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you've come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. I want to begin this morning by posing a question for you to consider. If you're here this morning and you are a Christian, what I mean by that is someone who has confessed that you are a sinner in need of a Savior and that you have confessed your sin before the Lord and you have received the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. If that's you, I want to ask you to consider this. How did you view the God of the Bible before you came to saving faith in Christ? Can you remember, how did you view the God of the Bible before you came to saving faith? For some, that might be harder to remember because you've been a Christian for so many years or maybe you grew up in the church and you don't really remember having thoughts opposite of what you were taught here in church. But for others, you remember very vividly Your thoughts about God. What He was like. What what, what did you believe also about sin? And the need for forgiveness from God. And being reconciled to God. Well this week I asked two members of our church. Who came to saving faith as adults. Both in their either in their 30s or in their 40s. How they viewed the God of the Bible before coming to saving faith. And I want to share with you just a little bit about what both of them said. One wrote, Before coming to Christ, I did not know the God of the Bible. I knew some of the Catholic sacraments were required to be able to approach God. But one sin, venial or mortal, was enough to send me to hell. Or purgatory if I was good enough. At a certain point... I walked away claiming I was too sophisticated and needed to find truth and meaning elsewhere. And they put in parentheses in myself. That's how one person remembers what they believed about God before coming to saving faith. Here's what another person who once again came to saving faith as an adult wrote, God was so far removed from me That to have a relationship with Him was impossible. Although I believe He existed, there was no way that He cared about me or what I did. Do you remember how you viewed God before you came to saving faith? If you've come to saving faith in Christ. Can can you relate to any of these thoughts? Was any of this your Experience. What did you believe about God 
before coming to faith in Christ. Well, in the passage before us, the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he posed some questions to these who are in the church of Galatia. And he did this for the following reason. He wanted them to remember what they believed about the God of Scripture before they came to saving faith. So in, in, in essence, he was asking them the same question I just asked you. He was asking them to remember, do you remember what you were like and what you believed about God and how you viewed God before you came to saving faith? He's asking them, do, do you remember how you viewed religion and a relationship with God before you came to Christ? And here's why Paul's doing that. You see, the recipients of this letter, which is, are the churches in this region of Galatia, which was primarily made up of Gentiles who, before hearing the gospel, they worship pagan deities, but now have come to saving faith. And because they've come to saving faith, they've been delivered from worshiping false gods. And from that point forward, after receiving Christ as their Savior, they went from worshiping false gods to having a personal knowledge of the one true God who saves people by His grace. But as you may recall, over time, these churches were influenced by other competing voices once Paul left town. Paul comes, he preaches, they leave their pagan worship of other gods to have a personal relationship with the one and true living God through Jesus Christ. But over time, other voices began to compete with this gospel. These new teachers who come into Galatia, they tell these believers that they had to obey the Mosaic law in order to be right with God. And otherwise, in other words, you had to believe in Christ and do these things to be justified. It wasn't just a good idea to obey the Mosaic Law. It wasn't just something that would make your life more fruitful and beneficial and, and all of those things. No, you, you needed Christ plus. In other words, they needed to add something to their faith in Christ, which was law-keeping. What they didn't know was that by adding to their faith in Christ, they were actually subtracting from their faith in Christ. By adding, they were actually subtracting. And essentially, this is, this is Paul's main thought. Essentially, they were returning back to where they began as idolaters. Now, as you can imagine, listening to Paul put things in the perspective that he just has and the manner in which he has, it must have been shocking. For Paul to make that claim must have been shocking to the original audience, which I believe was Paul's purpose. I believe Paul was seeking to shock them. In LifeGate Church, God in His kindness has inspired this letter not only for those in Galatia, but He inspired this letter and has preserved this letter for our benefit as well. And here's how we benefit from this letter this morning. We benefit... By seeing the pervasive lure of idolatry that was at work in us before we came to Christ. And the lure of idolatry that continues to entice us once we know God. See, that's the point of this text this morning. If you're taking notes, here's our outline. In verse 8, we see before we knew God, we were enslaved to idols. Verses 9-11, through 11, once we know God, we must not return to idolatry. Let's look at verse 8. Before we knew God, we were enslaved to idolatry. Now, without, with, with, to better understand the context of verses 8 and 9, what I want to do now is go back and begin reading in chapter 4, verse 3. And I want to read through chapter 4, verse 3, all the way through verse 9. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, 
to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you've come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Last week, if you were here, we looked at chapter 4, verses 1 through 7. And not only in this passage did we reflect on the doctrine of adoption and what it means to call God our Father. Last week, not only did we reflect on those glorious truths, we reveled in and celebrated this glorious reality that if we are in Christ, if you are in Christ, you are no longer a slave, but a son of God. Here's a question for you, and it's not a riddle. Do you know what's worse than a slave? What is worse than a slave is someone who was once a slave, who has been set free, adopted as a son, but chooses to live as a slave again. And that's exactly what the original recipients of this letter were doing. They were once slaves, had been set free, were adopted as sons, and now they're living not as sons, calling God Father. but They're living as slaves. Again, look at verses 8 and 9 and notice the contrast. Verse 8, formally, before you knew God. Verse 9, but now. So there's this before and this because. Before you knew God, now that you know God. And pay careful attention to how the Galatians are described before their conversion. That's what Paul's doing here in verse 8. He's describing what they were like before they heard the gospel, repented of their sins, put their faith in Christ. And notice what he says. Formerly, you did not know God. You were enslaved to those that by nature are not God. So three things we see in that verse. He says this about them. You did not know God. And you were enslaved. And you were enslaved to those that are not God's. Now, what does Paul mean by these three things? They didn't know God. They were enslaved. And those they were enslaved to were not even God's. Well, I have found it helpful to understand what Paul means here by turning to another one of Paul's letters where he says something very similar to what he says here, but he, he shares it in a different and more defined way. So keeping your place here, would you look with me also at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 18, and I'm going to read through verse 25. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So Paul makes this statement. He's now beginning kind of the, 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 the main part of his argument of this letter. And he, he makes this claim. God's judgment, that's what it means by the wrath of God. God's judgment is being revealed against all ungodliness and all the unrighteousness of men. And what is this ungodliness and what is this unrighteousness that has received the judgment of heaven? Everyone suppresses the truth. He goes on to say, for what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes... Namely, His eternal power and divine nature. They've been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, 
They did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men or mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Oh, I wish we had unlimited time to unpack and to meditate on the truths of Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 25. But we don't have unlimited time. So let me just make a few connections between this passage and our passage for this morning, Galatians 4, 8 through 11. First notice this, when, when Paul claims in Galatians 4 verse 8, when he says that before they came to Christ, they did not know God, He's not implying that they did not know a God existed. That's not what he means by you didn't know God. He's not making that claim. Actually, the fact that they knew a God existed is evident in the fact that they served idols. Why do you think people serve idols? Why do you think people have always served idols? And will always serve idols? Why do you think there's so many other religions? Because everybody knows, as Romans 1 says, there is a God. You can't look around in creation and say there's not a God. You can say it, but you're saying it is not because you don't have proof. It's because you're denying reality. And so Paul's not saying these people had no knowledge of God. No, the kind of knowledge they had was a general knowledge of a God that is revealed in creation. But like everyone else in the world, they did what Paul describes here in Romans 1. Notice what they do. Those in Galatia were doing the same thing that Paul addresses in Romans 1. They were suppressing the truth. They were suppressing the truth. They refused to worship God as they ought. And why did they do this? Paul says it's not because they didn't have evidence. God has made it plainly seen. So they're without excuse then why would they do that? They did it because of their futile thinking and foolish hearts, Paul says. And though they claimed to be wise, you know, that's where we get the word, the word used there for wise in the Greek is where we get our word philosophy from. Though they claimed to be philosophers, they became fools. Why? Because they became idolaters. Look at verse 25 again. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Now when you hear the word idolatry, let me, let me encourage you to do something. Don't just equate that term with statues and shrines people pay homage to. Though that is true. Many people still do that today. If you've ever been to other countries like India and other Asian countries, that there are still temples with shrines and people laying offerings at them. But it, but it doesn't serve us if we think when we hear idolatry, oh, we're only speaking of a statue and a shrine. See, idolatry is treating anything or anyone with the kind of honor and respect and devotion and love that is reserved for God alone. Idolatry isn't just taking place in some temple. Idolatry is anything or anyone that we treat with the kind of honor and respect and devotion and love that is reserved for God alone. Th think about it like this. Idols are not the products of people's hands. Idols were created in people's heads and hearts. Isn't that what verse 21 of Romans 1 says? 
For though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give Him thanks, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And that's what the Gentiles in Galatia were like before they came to faith in Christ. They knew there was a God, but but instead of seeking to know Him, they chose to ignore Him and create their own gods. Their foolish and futile thinking plagued them. And it fueled their idolatry. But listen, their futile and foolish thinking not only plagued and fueled their idolatry, it does the same for us today. It does the same for all of us today. So much so that we are Affected by our futile and foolish thinking that leads us to idolatry. We we are actually enslaved to it, Paul says. Look back now at Galatians 4. Galatians 4 verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. So not only did these people know there was a real God, choose to in their minds and in their hearts, worship the God that they thought existed or the gods they thought existed. But in doing so, they became enslaved to these false gods. Paul, Paul describes it more in verse 3. Or back in, yes, in verse 3 of chapter 4, when he says, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And he says the exact same thing verse in verse 9. When he says, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You hear how he's describing the state of these Galatians? They believed in false gods. Weak and worthless gods. Gods who were impotent. Gods who in their minds were big, but in reality did not exist. They were made up. They only had the power that these people were ascribing to them. They're weak and they're worthless. And they had bought into the elementary principles of the world. Now, what does Paul mean here? Put it all together. He's saying this. We're all enslaved to the world and the way the world operates. And because of that, we glorify creation over the Creator. And we place ourselves at the center of our faith. That's the predicament of every person on this planet. That is the predicament of everyone. We are enslaved to the world and the way the world operates. And therefore, what do we do? We do what Romans 1 says. We glorify creation over the Creator. And by doing so, we place man at the center. Now that raises a question. If you're perceptive, you, you, you might have been thinking, wait, Josh, I, let, let, me, let me ask something I'm not understanding. If these gods that the Galatians were worshiping are not gods at all, they're weak and worthless, how can they be enslaved to them? Have that thought? Well, Paul, how could you say they're enslaved to them and turn around and call them weak and worthless? That's not logically possible. That makes no sense. Paul, you're a smart man, but that's a logical fallacy. You can't say that. So how could that be? Listen to Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 8. You could turn to other places. But here's just one where Paul clearly talks about, once again, this predicament. Romans 8, verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, meaning they don't have the Spirit in them. It's not just talking about they're living according to the flesh, and and, and in that moment they're not living according to the Spirit. No, these are people who do not. They're just natural people. They don't have the Spirit of God in them. For those who live according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their mind on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Now listen to verse 7. 
For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Did you catch that? Go back to that question again. Paul, if you're saying these gods that the Galatians once worshipped are weak and worthless and not real, yet how, how, how could you say they're enslaved to them? They're not enslaved to those gods because those gods are powerful. Friends, it's our sinful minds and sinful hearts we're enslaved to. And it's our sinful minds and our sinful hearts we must be freed from. And that can take place only when we know God and have a relationship with Him. Which is exactly what happened to those in Galatia. Once Paul preached the gospel to them, they were free. They were free from being enslaved not only to sin, not only to many other things that they were wrestling with, but they were, they were freed from their idolatry. Which brings us now to verses 9-11. through 11. Once we know God, we must not return to idolatry. And that, that's the point Paul's making here in verse 9. You, you see this contrast once again. But now that you've come to know God. So he, in verse 8, before... But now, a change had taken place. Those who once did not know God personally, they now have a saving knowledge of God that allows them to know Him personally. And, and to know Him as what? As a gracious Father who calls people to Himself by His grace. Isn't that the point of the book of Galatians? Isn't that what we heard last week? Who is this God that you now know? He's a gracious Father who calls people to Himself by His grace. That's why Paul adds this caveat. Oh, I love that Paul, writing with his pen, says that you knew God. Wait a minute, no. Better yet, you were known by God. <laughs> it's like if Paul could have said, you know, strike that first comment. <laughs> it's not about you knew God. You were known by God. Friends, to be known by God means that God has entered into a relationship with us and this happened because of His initiative way, way, way before we sought to know Him. That's what it means to be known by God. Listen to this important line. We've looked at it a number of times. At the beginning of this letter, Galatians 1 verse 6, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting Him who called you in the grace of Christ. And are turning to a different gospel. Notice what he says about God. He's the God who called you. And if you remember back to the messages we did there, calling, when Paul uses that term, and not just when Paul uses that term, when it's used in the New Testament, it doesn't just mean an invitation, which I'm saying, hey, you want to come to my party? Yes or no. It's saying, by calling, it's creating. The God who made something happen. The God who called you by His grace. That's what it means that you were known by God. Listen to Romans once again. Romans 8, verses 29-30. through 30. Paul says this, For those whom He foreknew, that's what that word is. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that we might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Did you hear that golden chain? Those whom God knew. It doesn't mean, we, we read for no with our English understanding. 
Well, to foreknow means I can tell into the future. No, to foreknow means I am going to make you mine. I'm going to have a knowledge of you and a relationship with you way before you know me. Then it said, because of that, He predestined us, He called us, He justified us, and He will glorify us. Notice they didn't say, for those whom He predestined, some will come. And for those He called, some will respond. And for some of those He calls, some will be justified. And for those that are justified, a few will cross the finish line. No. Those whom God did this, God will do this, and He will do this, and He'll complete what He started. See, if you profess this morning that you know God personally, you know why that is? It's because God chose to know you personally and to make Himself known to you. Isn't that how adoption works? If we go back to last week, we're all glorifying, celebrating, enjoying the the good news of adoption last week. If you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and listen to that message because it's such a glorious truth that's often neglected that we are adopted. But listen, how, how can we celebrate that truth and only love it halfway? Because the orphan doesn't get to pick the parent. Never heard of that. The parent goes into the orphanage and said, you can be mine. And that's what it means to belong to Christ. And because He's made Himself known, we should respond to God as His beloved children. Because God all of a sudden showed these Galatians who He was and made Himself known as their Father by revealing Jesus and by giving them the Spirit, by giving them the Son, they knew He's Father. And by receiving the the Spirit of the Son, they can call Him Father. How should they have responded? They should have responded to Him as beloved children. But that's not what the Galatians were doing. Even though they had become sons of God, they were acting like slaves. How so? Rest of verse 9. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? Do you see what the recipients of this letter are doing? If we had more time this morning, I could give you examples. If you want to look it up later, look up 1 Thessalonians 1.9. It says that those in Thessalonica heard the gospel and turned from their idols. So here, Paul says, you're turning back again to, to, to idols. Do you, do you see what Paul's doing? He's using the same language, but he's saying, you're making a U-turn. It's repentance in the wrong direction. That's what you're doing. It's a reverse repentance. See, as they made their way back to the fundamental principles that they were enslaved to in the past, Paul says, you're you're going back to slavery. How so? Verse 10. You observe days and months and seasons and years. Now, we don't want to speculate too much here because we're not clear. Most commentators aren't clear what's exactly Paul is meaning here. What what all are they uh, adopting? We don't know exactly, but apparently these professing believers in Galatia, they were observing some form of a religious calendar that made them feel like they were more spiritual by observing those days. And Paul saying, do you not see what you're doing? Pat yourself on the back. You don't get a gold star. Do you you realize what you're doing? By doing this, they were no different than they were before as pagans worshiping false gods. Paul, how in the world could that be? That's a a shocking inference for Paul to make. Wouldn't you agree? You want to say, Paul, whoa. Okay, you you already made a a claim earlier. We're, We're struggling with the... With, with getting, how, how can Paul associate pagan practices involving worshiping false gods with someone seeking to obey the Mosaic law as Christians? Once again, that's, that's when you want to throw the flag and say, Paul, that's not working. 
You need to work on your, your metaphors, your analogies, and, and, and how you're explaining things. Because those two cannot be the same. But they are. Paul's not committing some logical fallacy. Actually, he's putting his finger right on the problem. You see, because both of those religious practices, both to worship pagan gods, and now to believe that if I keep the Mosaic law, it makes me right with God. You know what's wrong with both of them and what they both have in common? They were idolatrous and motivated by self-righteousness. Different gods, same problem. Motivated by idolatry and self-righteousness. See, both of these are an idolatrous because they relate to God according to how the person views God instead of the way God has revealed Himself to us in Christ. That's what both of those have in common. Though they were worshiping a false, false gods, now they're worshiping the God of the Bible, Yahweh, and keeping the very law He gave. They're in the same place. Because they're not worshiping God according to what God has revealed Himself to be, but who they think He is. And any time we're worshiping God according to who we think He is, it's idolatry. And that's what they're doing here. Now what do you do with an idol? See, if we can understand what, what Paul's saying here, we can understand not just the point he's making, but the severity of what they've gone back to. What do you do with an idol? You pray to it. You bow down before it. You bring offerings to it in hopes of appeasing that deity that it represents. And that's where self-righteousness comes into play. Seeking to appease any God by our own efforts is an act of self-atonement. And it is the definition of self-righteousness. And in both cases, that's what they were doing. You see, even though the Mosaic law came from God and was good when, you, when it was used to please God, but for the purpose of self-atonement, the law was becoming idolatrous. Here's why. Not because the law was bad, but because God never gave the law as a means of being right with Him. The God who gave the law is a God of grace. And they're treating Him as a God of law. And Paul says, you might as well go back and worship your false gods again. Because it's the same thing. It's not the God who's real. It's not the God who's revealed Himself to you. It's not the God who's revealed Himself through Christ and through the Spirit and through the Word. He is not a God of law, but a God of grace. See, the Galatians returned again to idolatry once they came to know God. And they did this because they started to act as if their law-keeping was gaining them favor with God. And that's why Paul ends this section by saying, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Now, what does Paul mean here? Well, let's be clear. Paul, Paul, by making this comment, is not throwing up his hands and saying, man, I give up on you folks. As you will see in the next passage, Paul's not giving up on them at all. That's not what he's seeking to do. What Paul's saying here in verse 11 was that he's aware he could only do so much, but the rest was up to them. There's something they had to do. He's done his part. He'll continue to do his part. He's not washing his hands of them. He's just appealing to them. He's saying, hey, listen, what else do you want me to do? My job is doing what I'm doing. I'm appealing to you. I'm making it clear. I'm giving you analogies. I've gone back to the Old Testament. I've done everything I can. I've reminded you of the gospel. I reminded you when you were converted. Here's what I can't do. I can't make you respond. Only you can do that. I'll keep trying. I'm going to keep working. But you've got to respond. So what were they to do? How should they respond? Well, if they had turned from the God of grace... And we're beginning to pursue an idolatrous view of God that was motivated by self-righteousness. Then what were they to do? They needed to repent of their idolatrous view of God. That made God a taskmaster instead of a gracious father. So let me return to the questions 
I began the sermon with. Before you came to Christ, how did you view the God of the Bible? How did you view sin, forgiveness with God, being reconciled to God? You see, once you come to Christ, your views of God change because they are informed by the gospel. But here's the million dollar question. Let us not peer through the window of this text and look at the Galatians and say, oh man, how do they get there? Here's the million dollar question for you and me. Do you relate to God on the basis of faith, grace, affection, and love because He's your Father? Or have you become like the Galatians who turn back to their old ways of relating to God on the basis of their wrong views of God? Do you have an idolatrous view of God you need to repent of this morning? I don't mean an idolatrous view in the sense that if I gave you a doctrinal test, you would flunk it. My fear and the reality we need to address because I think it's true for the Galatians and it's true for us is not that our doctrinal view of God is wrong. It's that our functional view of God is wrong. Oh, we can can preach all day long About the God of grace. About how gracious God is. He's our Father. But how often do we relate to Him that way? How often do we live and and respond to God in light of the message of the Gospel? Can I ask you this question? Do you relate to God as Father? I'm going to go back to last week's text. He's Father. And how you relate to Him? As a gracious Father. Who gave when you didn't deserve. Who gave when you didn't initiate. Is that how you relate to Him? For example. Is this your view of God? Do you believe that God puts up with you. But doesn't really have affection for you? This is a subtle one. Because we can say, but yeah, Josh, we're sinners. We're so horrible and evil and wicked. The only reason God can have anything to do with us is because of Jesus. True. Only because of Jesus we can be made right with God. But you know, if we're not careful, we can relate to God like this. He he treats us well only because we're friends with Jesus. But he's like, man, if Jesus wasn't here, gosh, I couldn't stand that guy. I have no affection. But I don't want to insult Jesus. See, we we believe Jesus loves us. This I know. For the Bible tells me so. But does the Father really? Does He really love me? Or maybe you're on the opposite end of the spectrum. Maybe it's not that you're struggling to believe that God delights in you as, as His child. Oh no, you, you love this truth. You, 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 you are rooted in this truth. That you are a child of God. Yet you respond to God like a spoiled child. Oh, He's Father. But you're like a, a spoiled child who believes their father owes them something. Because they are His children. And because you're His child and you're suffering. You're saying, how could you be a good I'm struggling. How could you be a good father? How could you bring this into my life? I know what the Bible says. What about this one? Do you choose not to relate to God as father because you have a poor earthly father? I know this is a sensitive topic on Father's Day. Though we're rejoicing in The gift of fatherhood. And many of us are thanking God that we have wonderful fathers. There are many that are saying, oh man. If God was anything like my earthly father. 
I would want nothing to do with him. I get that. But can I encourage you with something? Projecting upon God the sinful example of your father is idolatrous. I don't mean to say that with, with no sensitivity, but it's still true. We don't view God according to how we think he is and according to the way other people are. That's the very definition of idolatry. Why do I bring these things up as we close? Because I think it would be easy to see this text and to not see the places where we could be just like the Galatians, where we can say, oh, I know you're, you're God. I know you're good. I know you're a father. I know you're all of these things. But functionally, we, we have idolatry. We don't come to him and treat him in light of what we really know to be true of him. So as we close this morning, here's what I want us to do. I, I, I really ask the Lord, what, what's the application for today? I believe the application is the very application the Apostle Paul gave to the Galatians. I believe we're to have a time of confession and repentance of our idolatry of God. As Christians, as those that may all be able to pass a Bible exam, but yet we have wrong views of God. We have a view of a father who would never judge sinners. We would say, I don't believe in a God who would ever send people to hell. That's idolatrous. Or, maybe your thought this morning is, I could never believe in a God. I'd love to, but I can't. I can't believe in a God who, who, who could forgive me. Do you know the things I've done? I'm glad these people have been forgiven. They've they've probably not done the things I've done. Had the thoughts I've had. Once again, that view of God is idolatrous. Because here's how we know who God is. He's revealed Himself by sending His Son. And He says, you want to know my love? You want to know what I'm like? Look at the cross. Look at the perfect Son of God hanging on your behalf, receiving the judgment you deserve so that all you will ever hear from my lips is you are my child. So let's pray now and ask the Lord to help us and to repent and to confess any wrong views of God. Lord, as we close now, we do ask that you would help us to see, if we haven't already, where we may have views of you that are wrong. Not not necessarily in our minds, but in how we relate to you on a day-to-day basis. And maybe we, we didn't walk in this morning thinking that our greatest problem this week was that we, we were idolatrous. We were Christians after all. But Lord, we all, at some point in this week, at some point in the last few weeks, that we know things about you, we do not relate to you according to the gospel. We've been idolatrous and self-righteous. Believing you love us differently when we do well. You love us differently when we do poorly. Lord, we confess to you. That we struggle to live. And to relate to you. As if you are our heavenly father. We ask for your forgiveness this morning. For bringing any of our thoughts. And associating them with you. If you'll just take a moment where you are. If you're aware. Of ways that God's convicting you this morning. Of thoughts you've had about God. You've entertained about God. Ways you related to God. Even this week. Maybe recently. 
that now that you stand back and look at it, they were idolatrous because they're not based on who God is revealed in the gospel. Would you confess that? Lord, would you now do the work that only you can do? And that's continue to break through all of our thoughts and all of our perceptions about you and to, to remind us yet again on another Sunday that you are the God of grace. Our Father, if we're in Christ. I pray for those this morning that have not responded to your grace. They don't know you as the God of grace. When they think of Christianity, that's not how they would describe the God of the Bible. Thank you for bringing them here this morning so that their misperception of you could be corrected. You are a God of And I pray that they would respond to your grace this morning by putting their faith in Jesus. and By receiving your love, your affection. And that they would become children of God this morning. Father, may we be a church that lives in the good of the gospel. That doesn't just call you Father theologically. We call you Father from the depths of our heart by the power of the Spirit. We cry, Abba, Father. And may that fuel the way we relate to you, the way we relate to one another, and the way we live our lives. Lord, when we fail to do that, make it clear to us so that we will repent and we will turn again to the God of grace. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.